Welcome to the show. You're listening to the Hope Radio Podcast. Real stories, real people, real hope. My name is Sean Davis. I happen to be your humble host. And joining me as always, my co-host in life, my beautiful wife. Her name is... Just Jen. And you're along with us as we take this hope train of moving on down the tracks. Choo-choo! How you doing today, Jennifer? Jennifer? I know you're not even in trouble, and I call you Jennifer today. <laughs> you're scaring me. I know. Did you think you did something wrong? Um, No, because I know I didn't. You didn't think you were in trouble because I called you Jennifer? I just was on alert. Oh. It woke me up. Well, I just it just felt like a formal, formal introduction because I'm super, super excited about today's interview. Yeah? Yeah, I've got a fabulous interview for you. Well, I'm excited if you're excited. Well... That makes two people excited then. Okay. Lots of excitement. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll tell you about the interview in a second, but, um, you know, I just want to check in. How's, how's life for my beautiful wife? Life is truly a blessing. It's amazing. It really is, right? Yeah. I feel like we kind of turned a corner a bit, right? Yeah, I think we did. I feel like we're on a good path. We are on forward. the path. We're not on the pandemic path. No. Like that's, that's just, that's in the rear view mirror. I mean, it's still there. It's there, but, but it's not... But it's not front and center. Most people are getting vaccinated. So yes. we're just kind of moving forward. Here's what I think has lifted my spirits and changed my face. Okay. We've got lots of good stuff going on. We've we got do. a house that we're about to finish that we have. So in our day job, Jennifer and I, we flip houses. We're we like do. the Chip and Joanna Gaines of California. We're the Jen and Sean of California. Yeah. That's better. <laughs> the Shen. Like the, the Shen. The Shen of California. I'm Sean. And I'm Jen. And together we make... <laughs> Shen. Good thing your name's not Brit. That's my joke. I know. You can't I just tell had, my jokes. I just, well, it's how it flowed. <laughs> it's, it was Sean the order. Sean likes to take credit for my jokes. It was, the, it was her joke. <laughs> it was definitely her joke. I will give you due credit. But I got the chance to actually oh, I'll, say Oh, I know it. you'll give me credit because I'll fight for my credit. I don't want... Your fight, so you're right. <laughs> I'll give you credit. <laughs> but uh, I, I just think that, you know, having some good things ha happening and, you know, so flipping houses, we've had a house that mm -hmm. we've had for like two years that has just been... For too long. Yeah, that that horror story house. Like if we had began, begun the journey of flipping houses with this house, we probably still wouldn't be flipping houses. Well, yeah. So good thing it wasn't our first one. Yeah, I mean, you actually did tap out of this one. And what? Colby and I had to kind of bring you back into the boat because you what? were our captain and you are sinking our ship. Okay, why don't you tell everyone what you were saying about me? That's what I said. No, you're our, saying I, our <laughs> captain is on the sinking. We're in the rowboat. Row, 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 I, and row. I said, there's Colby and I in this rowboat like at Disneyland and just really not rowing, letting everyone else row. <laughs> <laughs> they felt, each they other. felt like I was on my own sinking ship, letting yeah. the ship go down. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, I think everybody can relate. The oh, pandemic yeah. year, the last year, it's been, you know. It was rough. There were some days where you just don't want to get out of bed. It was just very depressing. Every yeah. day the news was depressing, depressing stories. You'd go out and it was depressing. It was hard to do hope. It was hard to do hope. It was hard to do hope. This was like the only fun thing we did was I know. do this hope show. Well, and if it wasn't for a hundred plus guests that we've had come on the show that gave yeah, us hope. I mean, exactly. listening to their stories made me sound like a crybaby whiner. We definitely I, needed them probably more than they needed us. I know. <laughs> it's been a it's been a great show to lift our spirits. Yep. Awesome. Yeah. I I'm mean, excited. We've lifted a lot of spirits. So we have. Good. It's been a it's been a good year. So uh well. It's time to tell jokes. Let's do a okay. little funny. Let's do some I've funny. I've missed some funny. Oh, but I'm funny 
Okay. <laughs> yeah, you are. All right. I, I think I'm funny. You think I'm stupid funny. No, I, well, I can't. No, I think you're, <laughs> I think you're funny. I'm not going to agree to that one. You're not going to agree to that one. <laughs> All right. You got a joke for us? I do. All right. I'm ready. All right, Jen, tell us you're funny. Okay. Are you ready? I am ready. When is a potato not an Irish potato? When is a potato not an Irish potato? <laughs> when it's grown in Idaho? When it's a French fry. Aww, <laughs> there you it's go. It's French. It is. <laughs> you so funny. That's such a cute joke. I tell the cute funny. Well, I'm going to do one relative to our home flipping experience. I'm going to do a home joke. A home joke. Okay. All right. And for those that know me, like you and our son, Colby, and anybody that's around us, our contractors, etc., I think they'll think this is funny. Okay. So you ready? Yep. Most people are shocked when they find out how bad I am as an electrician. <laughs> That's actually true. <laughs> yes, sir, indeed. We're Don't not, let me touch the wiring. No, we're not allowed to do any kind of wiring in our own homes because... No. It's probably not a good idea. No, because we're not licensed. And we we're don't, not professional. Yeah, and we don't do plumbing either. Yeah, we're we're the type that buy the house and then create the vision and mm -hmm. then have everyone else like. Yeah, we do what we can and then we have everyone else do the stuff that we're not licensed to do. Yeah, see, I'm not like Chip. I'm not, I don't have my contractor's license. But, but I are, got my investor's license. And you're a realtor. I got my math license and I got my real estate license. Yes. So I'm the other things. You have all the things. <laughs> All right. So let me tell you, I'm super excited. I really want to get into our interview. It's going to be a fascinating interview. And mm -hmm. here's the thing. What's Jen. the thing? The thing is, this interview is so compelling, so interesting, mm -hmm. and so good. We're actually so going to make a two-part show out of it. Oh. This is going to be part one. Okay. And then we're going to have part two. And guess what? What? We're also going to have a couple of guests. We've got our friends, Sam and Jill, joining us. They're going to come in and listen in. And maybe, mm -hmm. maybe even ask a few questions if they want. Oh. So, so we're, going to have some, we're going to have some friends along with us. I love them both, so I'm actually really excited. All right, so let me tell you who we're, we're interviewing. So this has been a two-year process. Okay. Well, year and a half. Okay, so if you'll remember... We were contacted by Sam to pray for somebody in Hawaii that was actually missing. She had went yes. missing. Yes. That person was Dr. Amanda Eller. Mm -hmm. She had gone out to go run. Mm -hmm. It's going to be a quick run. She was just going to get her exercise on, then come back to her car. She left her phone, left her water, et cetera. It's just going to be a quick run. Nothing big. She'd done it all the time. She'd done it many times before. And uh, what ended up happening was it culminated in her being lost in Hawaiian jungle for basically 17 days. Whoa. International, worldwide, got lots of press for the mm -hmm. first time. Now, I reached out to her, wanted to connect with her, took us some communicating back and forth, took her processing it, et cetera, to kind of come to a place where she finally felt ready. Yeah. But we are, from what I understand, the first podcast to have Dr. Amanda Eller on the line and we're going to interview her about her journey, about her story, what she learned, what she felt, what she, what she, how she grew, the whole experience, everything. Wow. I'm super excited. I'm excited to talk to her. All right. You ready? Yes. I'm going to call her. I'm going to get her on the line right now. You ready to go? I'm ready. All right. Let's do this. All right. I've got Dr. Amanda Eller on the line. Amanda, welcome to Hope Radio Podcast. How are you today? 
I'm doing fantastic. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure. We are super excited to uh, talk with you. And uh, you and I have been conversing for like the last year trying to schedule this. <laughs> so I got to tell you, I woke up bright eyed and bushy tailed for the interview today. <laughs> Just ask my wife. He did not. What? We, we, he's he's tricking you. What? Are you telling my secrets now? Yeah, I'm just going to say we had leg day today and he bailed on the fifth circuit and there was seven. Jennifer. I'm sorry, but I can't lie. You're not supposed to tell my secret. Like I bailed out early this one time in like three months he's and now like, you're ratting me ridiculous. out. This is ridiculous. I can't do it anymore. Who does seven sets of legs? I did. I'm. Oh, geez. I completed it. We're off the rails here. Anyways. Sorry, go. Amanda. <laughs> we we got to get back here on focus. Let me say, relative to our interview with you, I woke up bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. I might have got a little stunted with her workout. He was very excited to speak with you today, so I will say that. Leg leg day, not so much. Uh, She has been trying to kill me for like the last year. See, this is is what's happened. My wife is a a beast when it comes to working out. I don't think anybody's excited for leg day, are they? No, never. Especially well, not me. I want big booty gains, but Sean doesn't. What? <laughs> so, so I like leg day. <laughs> Jeez Louise. Well, I'm, I'm sure Amanda likes her fitness too, which yes, is how she, she was out running and, you know, know, hiking and doing her thing. So. She's a yoga instructor, so know. she knows. Well, I wanted to, to jump Ooh. in and uh, just start your story with maybe you sharing about that morning, how kind of everything rolled out for you. Because, you know, I know a lot of people have questions, uh, you know, hearing a story about like this and, you know, like how does somebody get turned around and then all of a sudden, you know, what you thought was going to be a short hike turned into to really the fight of your life. So why don't you just start where you want to start with how that story began? Right. So, you know, a short hike that day, it was May 8th, 2019. That turned into a 17-day journey, unexpected journey uh, through the wilderness where I was rescued by helicopter at the end by the grace of God, truly. But that day, I mean, how it started was, uh, this, this sounds mundane and normal, right? I had plans with a friend and it was my day off of work, and it was a Wednesday, and my friend texted me at about 6.30 a.m. and said she found her cat dead in her yard, which was totally bizarre, oh. and so mm-hmm. she canceled the plans. I said, okay, you know, do whatever you need to do. Let me know if you need anything, and then I sat there with myself for a second. I had already gotten up, done my meditation, and, and so I said, okay, what should I do today? You know, just internally asking, and I just heard Makawa Forest, like loud and clear, and so mm-hmm. I was like, okay, and it, there was like an urgency to it, so... I kind of packed my backpack, snacks, sunscreen, phone, anything you could think of that you would typically bring hiking with you. And then jumped in the car, you know, headed up the road, dropped a package off for my mom for Mother's Day at the post office, and then went up to the forest. And as I was driving up, I'm listening to Fia, her, her artist name is FIA. She has beautiful conscious lyrics, like very motivating, heart-centered um, music. And so all of that is like radiating through me. I'm feeling very light. And I go into the parking lot, get into the parking lot and I'm putting on my shoes and I look at my backpack and I'm like, you know, I need to get in shape because I was preparing for a long hike through the crater. So I'll just do like a short trail run and I don't want to carry anything. That's what I used to do in grad school all the time. It's like, okay, I'll just stay on the trail. I'm not going to carry anything. I don't want it like splashing around. And, And so I left my bag, I hid my key under my tire and I took off on the trail and about probably 15 steps out from my car, I felt like my legs were like lead, lead weight. And 
it was the most bizarre sensation. And I was like, okay, um, do I need to grab my water or something else? And he's like, no, you know, don't be a baby. I got this. I could do three miles <laughs> without, you know, without a problem. And so I just kind of pushed myself past that little voice. <laughs> and, and so I started to run and it was like really hard. Mm, yeah. <laughs> so I was like, wow, God, I'm really out of shape. But it was like my body was sludged. And so I said, fine, I'm just going to hike, you know, or I'm just going to like do this little walk through the through the woods. And so I'm there, I'm by myself. There were some other cars in the parking lot. I'm walking on this trail and there were a bunch of down, huge eucalyptus trees that I had to go like under and over and around. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then I get to the, the top of the trail. There was this like flat forest floor. And so I'm just, you know, the light's peeking through the canopy of the trees and the wind is like, you know, just gently blowing and it was, it felt very magical. And so I'm just mm-hmm. walking, I'm following the trail. I find this tree that's down and I lay on the tree and I laid back and meditated for, I don't know, 20 minutes and then peeked my eyes open, was just watching the clouds pass. And then I was like, okay, you know, I got to get back to like, I got to go home and do my billing, you know, for, for my physical therapy business. <laughs> so I started walking back the way I came and I reached the end of where that trail was leading me and it was just dropped off into a ravine. And I was like, okay, that's weird because this is definitely the way I came. So I went back to the starting point of the tree and then I was like, okay, maybe it was this way. Maybe I had that wrong. And so, you know, to sum it up, I spent three hours, I think, in that part of the forest trying every logical route of like, it had to be this way. I know my car is that way and trying the trails, trying the paths. And I couldn't find it. It was as if the trail disappeared. It was just not there anymore. <laughs> now, I'd read an article that said something that you had a you had a really strong gut instinct. Was that gut instinct leading you, now that you reflect, toward where you should have gone? Or was it leading you away from where you should have gone? Well, so the fascinating thing about that is that that strong gut instincts. I've been training like my myself through kinesiology, mus- muscle testing, the sway test, things like that to get like a strong gut answer to life when you ask the question inwardly. And so that morning it was, it was strong. It was on point. And, and then when I was walking through the trail, there were all these different intersecting paths on the forest floor there. So I'd get to a point and I'd, I'd always follow the wider trail, right? And I was like, okay, right or left. And it was like, right. You know, just certain defined answer and so I did that a few times right or left right or left and then I was thinking as I was walking I was like wow my gut instinct is really strong that's amazing like I know I can trust this on the way back Mm. (laughs) and and so then um what it came to actually was after the three hours of kind of going into a little bit of a panic because who wouldn't at that point even though you're I'm watching the fear, I'm watching the panic, and I'm like, nope, I'm not going there. (laughs) You know, I'm not going to the thoughts of, what if I'm lost? You know, I started, I was like, okay, you know, I know my heart and my pelvis are like a dire scope, right? So they kind of like give you a a right or left, yes or no answer in life. And they're outside or let's say beyond the mind. And so I dropped my hands into those two places and I said, okay, where is, like, what direction is my car and where is the path to take me there, Right. And the way that my body showed me that was beyond the mind, because the mind had exhausted possibilities, the way that my body showed me was a different path that I hadn't tried yet. And I was like, this is weird. You know, (laughs) I mean, I had exhausted the other possibilities. And so I was like, I'll give it a try because I've been up in that forest before. I had nothing to be afraid of. Um, 
I knew even when I got lost in Maui before, like, you know, it does happen from time to time. I'd always find my way back to my car, knowing my car is that direction. Maybe this is just a roundabout path. So that's where my head was when I was like, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll listen to this. You know, that's fine. And then what ended up happening is I ended up linking. I was still on a path. And then I ended up linking to an even bigger path that looks like a, um, like a four by four trail or something like that. So um, I was following that path and then I found the road and I was like, great, this road has got to lead me to the main road. And I don't care if I sit out, you know, on the side of the road and walk back to the parking lot, that's fine. So this was kind of my train of thought because it felt the other options were exhausted. So I just went with my gut feeling as, yeah, this feels the lightest. This feels the best. I'm going this way. Wow. That's, that's incredible. So you did that for about three hours. At what, at what point did you realize that first day that you were in trouble, that you were lost? Was it at the three hour point? Cause I, I heard that you kept trying to find your car until maybe midnight that night. So at some point in that process, you, right. you, you had to have realized, uh Oh, this is, this is, <laughs> this is not good. Right. I would say, you know, the thoughts were just cycling in the back of my mind and I was aware of them, but I wasn't attaching to them <laughs> because I yeah. did not want to power that thought. Right. I didn't want to fuel it and I didn't want to make that my reality. So I said, I understand this is a roundabout way of getting back to my car. So how can I reframe this? So I'm still present and I'm so happy where I am in this moment. So, you know, I was like singing little songs and I'm just, okay, this is the right way. I would check in like probably every annoyingly every 10 to 20 steps, you know, this is the right way, like checking in with like all my systems, head, heart, gut. And I just kept getting yeses. So I followed the yeses. And then it was probably about started at 10 a.m. I'd say 1030 a.m. And then it was around probably about like four where the sun goes down behind the West Mallies and it starts to get a little shadowy and dusty. And it was about that time where I reached the end of the road that I was on. And what was ahead of me was jungle, right? Mm-hmm. So it was, there were no paths or there were like tiny little boar paths, but they, they weren't like obvious human paths. And at that point, as I'm staring at the forest, I was like, this, like, there's no way, you know? And, and I heard, you know, uh, by the way, just a little background um, with me is up until this point, I had been um, working on my ability to hear like so clear audience, that kind of thing, and tap into that higher form of guidance. So it's not hearing all, it's really tuning into angels, God, light, what, however you want to frame it within the human mind, right? So the higher form of guidance that leads us forward in life. And I tuned into that guidance. It was like, no, like 30 minutes that way, that's your car. And in my mind, I had made square. So it's like, it's the last arm of the square. It's got to be this way. So even though I knew logistically in my mind it made sense, I just didn't want to do that because I'm looking at this lush, um, unlandscaped jungle that looked like it could eat me alive. So I turned around, right? And I, I like figuratively threw in the towel and I said, screw this. I don't know what this guidance is doing. You know, my body guidance is out of whack or higher guidance is out of whack. It's never led me wrong before, but this can't be right, right? So I turned around and right then as I started to walk back down the road where I came, I doubled over in pain. It was as if um, I got sucker punched in the stomach. So at that moment, you know, it stopped me in my tracks and I really had to, I, so I said a prayer. And by the way, I haven't mentioned this up to this point, but the whole time I was hiking up until that moment, I was praying the entire time. 
So oh, Jen I, I believe it. Jen, Jen and I would have been doing the same thing. <laughs> yeah. It would have been a constant prayer yes. uh, the whole yeah. time. Oh, it was. It was it was a prayer, you know, a prayer like, okay, don't let me drop into that fear mode. And then it was like singing to keep me upbeat, you know, yeah. like internal singing and like just mantra or whatever, just to keep me calm and present and in my heart. So, yeah, I uh, I said like a deep prayer in that moment and that right after I felt that sucker punch in my stomach that really kind of shook me. And I just got the guidance and it, the guidance said, like, it's that way. Like, it's that way. There's no question about it. So, and the thought of going back to where I came from seems very dark and dim as an option, right? Very constricted. Yeah. <laughs> so, I turned around. I was like, okay, you know, let's do this. I went in and I just started, I mean, I was pretty much like an animal at this point because it's high army marching in your um, taking the plants, you know, pushing them out of the way with your arms, pushing them down, to get some foot on top of it. Um, so I, I went in for about five minutes and I'm, I'm not making very much progress because this is heavy duty work. Um, and I looked back and again, I was like, screw this, you know, <laughs> in the towel again. this is completely ridiculous. I mean, I don't know what kind of game or what kind of lesson is here for me, but this is out of control. Like, you know, I'm just, I'm really going to have to do some soul searching when I get back home. And, <laughs> and so I turned around again. And started walking back. And this time it was like a knife hit me right in my gut. So right in wow. my, my, right below my navel, probably in my sacral. That really shook me. That really, it brought tears to my eyes. And it, it felt, there was a stronghold over me. Like, nope, this way. So I said, okay, trust. You know, I just kept hearing the word trust. Which that'll, that'll break it right there. That'll make it or break it in that moment. So I was like, okay, I trust, you know, I trust in higher intelligence. I trust in higher power and I trust that my mind's not getting me there. So this is it. Right. So I continued and I was like, okay, how much longer? Every 10 steps, how much longer? 20 minutes, 30 minutes, you know, yeah. and I'm thinking and the time scales, the time scales are shifting, but I'm also moving very slowly. So who knows? And you had, you had nothing, what you had no light say? or anything like you had, you, cause you didn't have a phone, oh, no. you didn't have anything with you. you. You literally had what you were wearing and no other, right. you know, uh, electronics, lights or anything. Right. And so what's interesting is the sun was going down. I heard 30 minutes and I was like, great, that's just, the, and what I'm picturing in my mind the whole time or my mind by was I'm going to get to the parking lot at dusk, right? I'm going to come out. I could see the side of the parking lot I'm going to come out at based on my, you know, where I've been and my hiking path so far. Um, and I'm going to get in my car. I'm going to call my, uh, my boyfriend, Benjamin. I'm just going to cry my eyes out and everything's going to be good. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I saw this whole plan working out beautifully in my head in that 30 minute mark of like, I have to get there before the sun sets. I was hauling. Right. So I did not hold anything back. I was like, okay, this is the way. Everything is telling me to go this way. When I listen, it feels the best. I'm just going to do this. So I did. I hauled and I hauled and I hauled and then the sun went down and I'm in the dark. And it was probably when dusk hit and it was really going to, to night where I had to stop. And I said probably the strongest prayer of my entire life. One of them, I should say. And I just prayed to 
God, all the higher realms, anything that was operating in light, I said, please, like, eliminate my fears, eliminate my fear of death, eliminate my fear of being eaten by a wild animal, of dying out here alone, of starving, of, you know, falling and breaking my leg, (laughs) Um, of all of any fear that was in my headspace. I just put it right at the altar, said, please take it from me. I can't deal with this. Like, if if, if I need to do this and I am going to my car tonight, this can't be in the way, right? It can't be operating from fear. And when I open my eyes, it's as if this like dark veil had lifted. And even though I was in pitch, I was in dark. It was definitely dark outside. I think the moon was halfway to full. And um, so there was like a little bit, tiny little bit of spotlight. I wasn't afraid. It was the most bizarre thing. You know, I know Hawaii is a, a spiritual place and Maui especially. That's from my experience. And I wasn't afraid of spirits. I wasn't afraid of noises. I wasn't really afraid of being out there. I was like, okay, now it's just me and nature, which I love nature. Let's do this. <laughs> never so, done this before. So never I never guess. slept in the woods at night. <laughs> so I'm going to see what this is all about. We're, we're just going to well, consider this to be right. an adventure. Yeah. Well, none of that was contingent on me sleeping in the woods. So I had not agreed to that up to that point, <laughs> right? It was kind of like... <laughs> It was, it was as if I had like an ongoing contract with the divine and I was like, okay, this is the agreement so far. So I'm like waiting for you to hold up your end. He and, hadn't yet changed the terms um, on you. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, it was the carrot. I kept chasing the carrot because the carrot, it was the answer of yes, you're almost to your car. Yes. 30 minutes more. Yes. Go this way, right or left. Right. I was so focused on getting back to my car and getting to my warm cozy home and drinking hot tea and just like, you know, being in my boyfriend's arms and crying that I wasn't going to stop. Like there was no way I was going to submit and just like stay as a sitting duck in place because trust me, the mind thinks, you know, in survival mode, you think about all of these things. So I had already gone over the option of what if I just stay in place and wait for somebody to find me? And I see myself like a vision four days later, like still sitting in place. Nobody's found me (laughs) and I feel like an idiot, you know? So that wasn't an option. And I was just really going with whatever was working through me, that impulse that was working through me, along with head, heart, gut, you know, so everything that like synced up, that's what was my driving force forward. And when I went outside of that, and I said, Nope, I doubt I'm going to go this way. It was like, whoop, tree branch hit you in the head, or I'd fall down the side of a little hill or whatever it may have been. I mean, nature was becoming my guru so that when I didn't listen and I fell out of sync or out of alignment, I quickly was corrected. <laughs> That's interesting. That's really, really interesting. It's like uh, I remember reading about you talking about a branch falling or you stubbing your toe or tripping or something like that. So these mm-hmm. external events that would cause you to then go, okay, all right, I get it. I got it. All right, I'll listen. You know, I'll, I'll head this direction mm-hmm. or I'll change direction. So that first night at what, so you stopped around midnight. What, what was that like? Like, wh- where did you sleep and when did you, did you even sleep? Or was it one of those things that you kind of stay up the whole night and wait for morning? Yeah, I had to stop because I started hallucinating. And just to put it out there and to clear the air, there was a lot of skepticism about me being on some kind of hallucinogenic or psychedelic or something while I was out there, because that does happen, <laughs> you know, to people, they might take some, some kind of mushroom and go into the woods. But I was completely clear and sober. Um, I don't even think I think I had just had a small protein bar that day. And that was it. So I was, I was fasting, I was dehydrated. And I was, you know, operating from some altered state of like, 
panic probably on a deeper, subtle level that I wasn't even aware of about, I think it was probably about one o'clock and this is all based on moon position and (laughs) my intuition. I started to see visions like open eye visions when I was walking. At that point, I knew it was dangerous for me to continue going and I wasn't helping myself. So I submitted to spending the night out there. I found like a little um, boar path, um, which is like a pig path. And it was kind of muddy and it was drizzling. And I just laid in the boar path because it was the friendliest uh, alternative to just laying on plants that were like digging into your, your skin. And I laid there and I said prayers, I think, until I put myself to sleep, if we want to call it that. But I was pretty much awake the whole night just waiting for dawn to come um, so that I can find my way to a water source and then find my way out. So, yeah, as soon as dawn hit, I um, got up and put my wet shoes on and and then I was continuing forward. So. Fully expecting, I would imagine, that that second day that, you know, okay, I'm going to find my car now the second day. Yeah, that was a wild day yesterday, but I'm going to find my car today. And I, I imagine mm-hmm. you had that resolve. So, you know, the second day, was it was it pretty much like the first? You kept trying to find certain paths or did you try to go back the way that you thought the, you know, the last leg of the square was going to be or or what? Well, there was no going back at this point because I, you know, it was, that wasn't an option. I mean, looking back, it's like I just hiked through jungle and because it was dark, I had no idea which way I came from, you know? So it was like the whole time I trusted myself and my guiding force enough that I wasn't going to think I need to go back, even though the thought was there, you know, I was like, I'm not feeding that thought. So where is my car? You know, that was, that was the main question I would ask you know, hundreds of times per day, which direction is my car? Which way do I go? You know, what's the best route of getting there? Because it was all kind of like tumultuous nature out there. So I started off day two and the beginning of day two, it was as if mirages started. Um, And it probably, we could call it dehydration. We could call it something else. I don't know. I just know that I was out in the wilderness. I was finding my way to my car through my, my guidance system. And my mind based on where I thought the car was directionally. Um, and I hiked down to the stream that morning. And then when I was hiking down the stream, I, I saw through the trees on the other side of the stream. And it looked like this grassy landscaped yard. And I was like, hallelujah. You know, I found somebody's backyard. <laughs> oh, my gosh. These people are going to be terrified when I knock on their door. You know, first thing in the morning, they're drinking their coffee. And I'm just like sprayed and, you know, jungled out. But um, Do you happen to have a decaf so for I, me or a coffee for me? I'd, I'd take a latte. I've kind of had a rough night. <laughs> right. Right. I was, I was just hoping that they were kind and that they weren't going to come to the door with a gun. So. Yes. Um, yeah. So, so I saw that and I was like, Oh my gosh, you know, so it was just, my heart was wide open. I went that direction as fast as I could after I get, I got a couple of sips of water and I got there and it, just, it was, it was not what I thought was right. And so it was as if, you know, you wipe your eyes and like, what was that? You know, I could have sworn that. <laughs> and so it's like, okay, maybe the light was playing tricks on my eyes. That was weird. And so I kept going, okay, let that pass. Don't get yourself down about that. Which way? Right or left? Right or left? So that was like the whole, I mean, that was like the next four days. <laughs> was wow. that question. Right or left? Which way is my car? And lots of, uh, we could call them mirages or 
visions of things that when you got there, it would disappear right in front of your eyes. That had to have been a really just profound spiritual experience, you know, like, did, did you feel in those first few days, did you feel the presence of God with you? Did you feel strongly that, that, uh, you were being protected or that you were, you were not alone in that regard? Absolutely. So I, I was praying from the beginning, but I, I, um, mentioned that very powerful prayer that I said to eliminate fear. And then I also asked for protection, right? So I said, you know, put me in a bubble of light, make sure that nothing dark can touch me. Like I need to feel surrounded by angels, basically, if I'm supposed to keep moving forward in this way and not just collapse. Yeah. <laughs> so it was only that sense of like power and protection that enabled me to continue going forward. And anytime I felt even like a little bit of weakness there, or a little bit of fear, I would just double up. Okay. More, I need more protections. I need to feel more comfortable. I need stronger guidance systems. You know, I was just, it was really like, um, a one-on-one encounter, like the whole time with God, you know, higher power of saying, I can't do this alone. And I trust, I trust that there is, you know, a loving God and a kind universe enough to pend my life on it right now. Yeah. Yeah. Literally. So it was, yeah, it was that enabling force. What did you do for food? Uh, I read that you, you know, ate some plants, I think. You, you, you weren't sure what you could eat. I, I heard you even ate some moths and things like that, whatever you could get your hands on. So, you know, what, what was that like? So probably the entire time I was out there, I, I had like a quart-sized Ziploc bag of strawberry guavas. So they're little ruby red um, guavas, uh, which is fruit. And that's all I had all the 17 days, including probably about 40 miles of hiking through the jungle. And I did eat some plants, which probably didn't have a whole lot of like caloric intake, but they did have some kind of nutritional value. Um, The way that I ate the plants was I knew some prior to going into the wilderness, but I used the gut test. So again, going back to the kinesiology muscle testing of your body acting as a pendulum to tell you a yes or no answer to something. And I've used this for food for a long time, so I trusted it enough. I used that, but that's really all I ate. And I really only ate when I needed to because my, you know, and when you're in survival mode, that's the last thought. <laughs> it's kind of like, how much do I need to eat to keep going? But I, um, I've i always been intrigued by the human body, so I knew that we could survive 40 days without food. You know, yogis do 40-day water fast for, you know, fun and enlightenment reasons. Um, so I was aware of like the, the, or the stress that you can, um, endure through the human body before you really have to worry about, uh, you know, things going wrong. How much weight did you actually lose through the whole ordeal? Probably at least 20 pounds, if not a little bit more. So yeah, it was, it was day 17 when I looked at my stomach and I saw a six pack that I knew there was a problem because I never <laughs> had a six pack in my entire life. Is that what it's going to take now? Jennifer, don't get no <laughs> ideas now. As soon, as soon as you said kind of secret, se- Jen's a total foodie. So as soon as you said 17 days without food, I think she was out. I am literally Googling strawberry guava right now. <laughs> uh-huh. Literally, it's yeah, on my phone. Well, <laughs> it was um well it was the seven it was pretty much a 17 day let's say high, you know high caloric restriction diet right <laughs> it wasn't a complete fast yeah because i was having a little tiny bit of fruit here and there but i was 
So the first four days, it was about 40 miles, I'm guessing, of because it was sun up to sundown, right, mm-hmm. um, of hiking through the jungle. I didn't stop. And then the next 13 days after I broke my leg, it was moving in whatever way I could with the, the resources of my body. Besides, you know, I had a broken left leg at that point. When, so, when, um, what day did that happen last, on? So I, that, let's clarify the, that. The end of day four, I oh my was gosh. lowering myself down into a screen bed um, backwards, which I had done this probably about 15 times at this point. So it was kind of like, ah, I know how to do this, right? Like I felt jungle trained. I was very much an animal instinct out there. And I'm lowering myself down into a, a screen bed for water because I knew if I woke up without getting more water, I'd be in tough shape in the morning and I might be too weak to get there. So it was at dusk that I made this decision, of course, lowering myself down. And then what happened to the hillside is normally it slopes down evenly when, it, you know, that's what it's supposed to do. But this one just dropped straight vertically flat um, and then inward so that when I got to a certain point, I was holding on to plants to lower my weight the foothold underneath of me dropped and then the plants were not strong enough to hold me. So I fell about 20 feet down into a small pool of water. There were rocks in the pool. My left foot hit a rock and my um, left leg was straight when that hit. So it jammed up my whole left knee joint. It ballooned out immediately. And um, coming from a background of physical therapy, I knew I was in tough shape (laughs) immediately. So uh, I, you know, was screaming and really upset at everything and then dragged myself out of the pool, you know, probably cursing my way there. And then, you know, I, I really had to sit with, okay, what now? Right. Uh, the fascinating thing about the knee break or the, the breaking my leg, it was actually the tibia was after I broke my leg, I didn't want to hear it. But what I heard very loud, what I heard very loud and clear was we needed you to be stationary. <laughs> So I was running, 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 like, I'm going to get there. I'm going to get there. Nothing can stop me, right? And something was saying after I broke my leg, no, we just needed you to, like, sit and be stationary and to listen. <laughs> you know, sometimes yeah, sometimes ahead. when God God talks to you, he uses a two-by-four. At least upside <laughs> my head, yeah. he'll use a two-by-four. You know, like the obvious, okay, you know, like, you're not listening, so... I'm right. going to make sure you listen. And that guess, sounds like one I of those I moments. Need a two by four. Jennifer. <laughs> <laughs> to make me listen? Is that what you're, you're, you're saying? You're telling me the secrets. Stop it. <laughs> Jeez Louise. I listen most of the time. So at, when did you lose your shoes? Because I heard you lost your shoes too in a flash flood. Right. The shoes became irrelevant after I broke my leg, um, okay. to be honest with you. So the shoes became, um, after that, I took off my shoes. My feet were, my ankles were very, had huge sores and wounds on the front of my shins. Um, and all around the inside, you know, the plants um, would dig into my feet like thorns, um, which is kind of fascinating, right around the inside of my shoe. So I had like rings of wounds where my shoes would normally hit at the top of um you know, the, at the top of the ankle. Mm-hmm. Um, so I took the shoes off and I said, these are more a guiding post for the helicopter to find me to know that there's human life here. Yeah. So I set the shoes because I wasn't going to be walking anywhere. So I set the shoes on top of rocks, you know, dragging myself over there and said, okay, if um, a helicopter passes by and I'm not out in the open because I'm staying in the shade, so I don't get scorched, then they'll see something. Um, that the end of day five was probably about 3 PM. It started raining really hard, really hard. And when it rains hard up country in Maui, it's no joke. Um, 
So it was pretty torrential. You have to be worried about flash floods. So there was like pretty much a flash flood that happened. I was right along the side of the stream um, because water was my, you know, my life source at this point. And the way that I knew I could keep going was as long as I stay close to water, I'm good. And I had no, really no way of maneuvering myself or moving myself uphill. <laughs> so I was in this little like nook, I would call it, back and away from the water. Normally, it's probably, it probably would have been about 50 feet from the water, but the water surged all the way up into my nook. And um, because it was just getting heavier flowing down the mountain. Um, and yeah, that, that night was definitely a game changer because it really put my life and whether I wanted to live in perspective. Yeah, I, I read that there was a point where if you want to live, like you heard this very, very strong voice, if you want to live, do this or do that. So, you know, maybe you can uh, describe that. Yeah, so I would say that end of night five, it was a flash flood. I was uh, praying, chanting, mantra, whatever kept me in my body and in my heart to the best of my ability. Lots of prayer. and. Uh, I did this meditation that night where I basically, I felt like I was going to die. I felt like that was it for my life. I was definitely going to get swept away because I was nothing against this great force of nature. So I came into a logical surrender of this is it. You know, I'm not going to resist it anymore. I believe there's higher power and it has control as to whether we stay or we go, right, in this lifetime. So when I surrendered and I said, okay, if this is it, and I'm not supposed to be in a body anymore. What else do I have to learn before I fully let go? Wow. And I heard unconditional, I heard unconditional love very clearly. And about four days before that, no, excuse me, not four, four days before I went into the forest, I was working with this healer named Ruth who gave me this meditation that came through in one of our sessions. And I did that guided meditation as visualizing the color of unconditional love as being this like, sparkly, light pink, like glittery uh, color. And I just envisioned as that energy kind of took over every little cell, every little molecule of my being, and it just transmuted and transformed so that whatever was there that wasn't unconditional love um, was now completed by that energy. I did that for about an hour. And when I came out of that meditation, by opening my eyes, I was pulsing. Uh, it was as if <laughs> there was no fear of death anymore. It was as if I was given a new opportunity to live and I had nothing to be afraid of. You know, it was like, okay, I'm still here. I'm in the exact same position. I look down, the water's rising around me. I'm sitting in about a foot and a half of water. My knee's still broken. I'm in the wilderness with nothing. And I was at complete peace with all of it. And I just said, if that was it, you know, this is the most beautiful way to go out. <laughs> so I trust wow. that whatever's going to happen from this moment forward is going to be perfectly right. So I made it through the flash flood and I stayed in that state. And the next day I, I felt compelled to start moving upstream to become more visible, find a better place of visibility for the helicopters. And then that's when it, it was probably a few days later, that whole right foot, left foot, I choose life came in because it was getting harder to sustain my body, harder to move. My, I was very weak <laughs> at that point. At least my body was, my spirit was strong. 
How are you managing the pain of your leg break and your, your torn meniscus in your knee? And Yeah, I was working on myself constantly. So I'm a physical therapist and a healer. And so I know different techniques for unwinding um, fractures and bone bruises and muscle tears and all of that. So I was doing everything I could as far as that's concerned. I was icing. I just call it icing my knee. I was really dipping my, my knee into the cold water that was running downstream at least three to four times a day for 20 minutes <laughs> and elevating my legs, you know, the so rest ice compression elevation. That's what you do with a, an acute injury. So I was doing all of that and just praying because I knew that I just had to keep moving or I had to move when I felt guided to. And so letting, feeding into the pain as an overwhelming force that would keep me stationary wasn't an option. Yeah, that's incredible. I, I, I'm just riveted listening to the story. You know, uh, I guess one question I have is, you, you know, you certainly knew that there was loved ones worrying about you. So how how did that affect you during that uh, time? Because I know your parents were very active at trying to find you and, you, you know, were upset, surely, at what was going on. And you mentioned a boyfriend. And so how did how did thoughts of them keep you going? It was it wasn't really until day it's probably about day five when I, I really I knew that Benjamin was aware I I was very we had a very strong bond and I knew that he called 911 and that the helicopters were out searching for me because I saw them flying around right um, they didn't see me but I saw them so I knew he was involved and I knew at this point my mom was probably involved but the whole time I thought it wasn't a big deal so I figured it was helicopters and it was probably Benjamin and a couple of my few friends on foot looking for me in the forest and I knew my mom knew but I didn't know if she was fully there on island so what I was doing the whole time I was like I was just sending out love and messages of confirmation I would just ask in a prayer please make sure that my mom knows that I'm alive and I'm safe and I'm protected and that I'm going to find my way out or here are my GPS coordinates, you know, like here's where I am within the grand scheme of like me being on the hillside of Maui, (laughs) you know, like give her my location and just kind of communicating through the divine to Benjamin, to my mom and to um, a couple other close people that I knew were open enough to receive those messages. And they got them, you know, and I was receiving messages back of, okay, they're out searching with dogs today or they have the flare technology looking for you or whatever it may be. So in the morning, it was as if I would check my voicemail and I'd say, okay, where's everything at? You know, I'd receive, (laughs) I'd receive messages and then I would send messages back out saying, okay, well, this is where I am. So it was, it was a very like logical (laughs) way to work with the divine system. Uh, Yeah. That's pretty funny to say out loud. (laughs) So, so you, you broke your leg day five. And so you pretty much were in a situation where you stayed in a, in the same general area. I mean, you might've gone upstream to become more visible, but you, you know, for the rest of the time that you were there, you know, almost two weeks, 12 days, whatever it was, you were pretty much in, in the same spot. Is that correct? Right. I think from, from day, so day four, end of day four, I broke my leg. Day five, I think it was the end of day six. I was feeling strong enough. Seven. I get the days confused. I have to look back at my writing. So I think it was the end of day six or seven that I felt like I need to move um, so that they can find me because I don't think they're going to find me or see me at this spot for some reason. So I moved upstream. The only way that I could get there was in a downward dog fashion. So kind of like in a pike position. So mm-hmm. my hands were on rocks, my feet were on rocks, and I was walking sideways up 
the stream bed in that fashion. So that's an ab workout right there. Um, <laughs> Jen, and- Jen's making a note right now. She's going to have me do <laughs> yeah. it tomorrow, I bet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, a, that's, that's, that's a good one. That's going to be phase two. Um, <laughs> so, so I moved, I would move upstream and then I would stop when I felt like anytime I'd see a big clearing. I would check in, okay, is this it? You know, can I stop now? Can I relax? No, keep going. So a lot of the time it was keep going, keep going, keep going. You're almost there. Most of the time I was at my breaking point before I heard, okay, you made it. Here you go. And so I ended up making it to a few different clearings. So I went all the way upstream, stopped, I think it's three different places along the way, spent two days at the top. And then, you know, once I was there, the helicopters really weren't finding me out there. I was like, I think I'm too far outside of the territory. I felt compelled to come all the way back downstream past where I was on day four and then to the waterfall where they ended up finding me. So I was in many different locations um, and then just staying put um, when I needed to for however long I needed to. So it was more or less, I trusted, I trusted um, my guidance so heavily that nothing was without question. Nothing was mind oriented. It was all just faith and trust. And that's what determines my actions or my being. So what was the hardest point for you? What was the lowest of the low hardest point for you in the whole journey? I think it was probably when I broke my leg because up till that point, I knew I had my physical health that if I had to go all the way down to the ocean, I could right? Just to find my way to some kind of civilization. And then after I broke my leg, which I knew, I knew it was very damaged just based on the swelling. And I tested it, you know, testing ACL, PCL and everything. I knew I was in bad shape. So after that, I really started to, I I was dependent on helicopters, right? Um, Is what I was thinking. And it was a low point of I'm not going to find my way back to my car. They're going to have to find me. Yeah. So it was kind of surrendering over the, the power and the, the physical ability to get out of that situation. So l- let's get to the point where you're rescued. What does that feel like? I can only imagine after 17 days seeing that helicopter. And for what I understand, you know, it's kind of a fluke that they even went as far in as they did because they didn't expect it that you'd be that far in. But I guess someone decided to take a detour. And next thing you know, they're pretty much on top of you. So describe that feeling when you mm-hmm. see that helicopter and, and you know they see you. And what's so amazing about that is, um, day 16, I got to that point at the top of the waterfall and I heard it's as if the sky opened and said, this is where the helicopter is going to find you. And I felt it in every cell of my body and I trusted it completely. There was, there was no space to not trust that. I, so I had that point. I that was, that was your morning just, voicemail, right? That was your, that was, or is that with the evening voicemail? Yeah, One of the two, was. but like, it well, was like, it okay, was listen, afternoon. <laughs> this is what's going to happen. You know, prepare yourself. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was probably about one o'clock in the afternoon. I just swam to get to that point because I had to jump off some waterfalls to get to that point. And then when I got there, I took off all my clothes and I was like, if anything's going to attract a helicopter, it's going to be a naked woman on top of a waterfall. <laughs> <laughs> You're probably right about that. So I, I laid, 
Yeah, and my legs were so swollen, so I laid upside down on the side of the, the waterfall and just waited. I was like, I'm ready for my pickups, you know? And, yeah. Yeah. And, and you had great abs, by the way. Yeah. So, you know, if, yeah. if it does oh, happen that way, they're going to go, point. wow, she's real fit. Yeah, yeah, great abs and really ugly legs at that yeah. point. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, so I waited and I waited and they didn't come that way that day. And then my morning voicemail of, uh, of day 17 was today is the day, right? I was aware oh it was 17. Gosh. I was like 17, six, a good number. Let's go with that. One plus seven equals eight. Great. And, um, and so I just kept, I just stayed in that place of like waiting, waiting, waiting all day. The sun started to set. Um, it was probably about four o'clock, four thirty or so. And I thought, oh, my God, I can't even imagine, like, sleeping out here another night, you know, like, kind of looking at the sky, like, you told me, <laughs> you told me they picked me up. And um, so I said, okay, well, what do I, you know, I need to get my bed ready. I need to, to eat something because I was kind of, like, waiting for the snack that was, you know, going to be in the helicopter for me. Um, I don't think I ate anything that day because there really was no food at that site. And so I went into the woods and I'm, um, and it was pretty rough on my feet and at that point I was kind of like hobbling around um on two feet found some exploratory plants that I was going to try because my body wasn't totally repulsed by them when I did the slate test and so I had a plant in my mouth I'm in the woods and I look up and the helicopter's on top of me so I didn't even hear it coming which is just fascinating and the helicopter pilot's pointing at me and I'm just oh my god of course I'm like waving my arms and I'm like oh my god this actually happened and, um, so I, I make my way out of the woods, you know, take the plants out of my mouth. I'm like, I don't need that anymore. And find myself on the rocks. And it's obvious that they're trying to land. They couldn't land at that spot. So he kind of signaled to me, we have to cycle back around. So they did. I said, okay, as long as they know where I am, they're not going to like leave me at this point. And they, they dropped the guys, the rescuers on the other side of the hill and they hiked over and, and found me. Yeah, I was, it was just that, uh, I mean, when you've lived in fight or flight for 17 days, it's, the feeling is undescribable, um, but it's just overwhelmed, right? So yeah, overwhelmed. that had to have been such a like, euphoric, dis- happy, just, um, just oh, yeah. an incredible feeling. Right. Totally. Yeah. Just totally out of this world. And it, more than anything, it was disbelief. Like this actually happened. You know, I trusted this divine system to keep me alive and I it was like me and God were just hand in hand the whole time um and it actually worked you know which normally we can believe in God but we don't tend our life on that right so it was it was the the force that kept me alive yeah Um, so that was the most amazing part of that rescue All right, that's the end of part one of our two-part show with Amanda Eller. So stay tuned. Tomorrow, we're going to do segment two. We're going to talk to her about how she felt, how she was changed, her faith, her spirit, her fear, her strength, all of that stuff. What did this experience for Amanda do to her? What were the long-lasting positives and maybe some negatives that came out of the experience. We're going to talk to her all about it tomorrow. So stay tuned. Be back tomorrow for part two.